It's a long passage, but it's a good passage. It's one of the amazing uh, stories in the, in the Old Testament in our series on the book of, of Joshua. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, if this is your first time here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the, the pastors here, and if we haven't met yet, please, please introduce yourselves to me after the service. I'd love to get uh, to know you, and it's our goal, our hope, our desire that you feel like you're part of, of the family here. Um, so uh, if, if uh, this morning we don't have the slides that, that we, we normally have on, on Sunday. There were a few other things going on uh, this week. Um, and uh, uh, it's important for you to know that you have, like you do every single Sunday, you have an outline in your bulletin. You can follow along, track with me to see where we are in, in the sermon. Um, and if I'm like 30 minutes into the sermon and I haven't even got to my, through my introduction yet, you know you're in trouble. But if you know that... that uh, if you're following along, you'll, I think you'll be able to comprehend it a little bit better. So um, please feel free to follow along in the outline. Um, so our topic this morning is salvation. It's that simple. Our topic is salvation. Everyone, everyone wants salvation. But the question is, what is it? What is salvation? Now, most people in the good old U.S. of A think in terms of, when they think of salvation, uh, think in terms, they use different words like, like freedom and fun, right? And then we chase it with money, we chase it with sex, we chase it with uh, power and beauty and comfort and success. Others may look to religion, keeping the rules and the religious rituals. But what about Christianity? Well, most people in the good old U.S. of A lump it into the category of religion. And they say, in Christianity, you seek salvation by loving and obeying God. Wrong. That is not Christianity. And sad to say, a new survey just came out by the Pew Research Center that confirms that most people in the church don't even understand salvation. It's like the Reformation never happened. Today, we are looking at a story of salvation here in our Joshua series. And it's the story of Rahab, a woman who was enslaved by prostitution. Now, what is it about her story that shows us what Christian salvation is. Here's what we're going to be unpacking. That this story is about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. All right? That's what we're going to be unpacking. And first of all, this story is about salvation, okay? This story tells us that God's judgment is coming, that the invasion of the promised land, the commentators will tell you that it's a preview of the final judgment. It's like a, a warning sign. It's like, it's like the news uh, stories you hear telling, you know, Florida and, and the Caribbean and Texas that, that a hurricane is coming. It's a very loving, gracious thing for us to be told about this. And you know what? I know that there are a lot of really thoughtful people who don't like this idea of judgment and don't believe in it, and I get that because it's dreadful. It's dreadful. We'd rather imagine that, it, that it's not real, that it doesn't exist. But I want to ask you something this morning. I want you to wrestle with something this morning. 
How sure are you that there isn't a final judgment? How sure are you that, that God won't hold us accountable? I mean, are you sure enough to, to, bet, your, to, to bet your eternal destiny on it? Have you ever been so sure about something only to find out later that you were wrong? We don't like to think about it. But that does not mean that it's, that it's not going to happen. This story warns us, lovingly, graciously warns us that a judgment is coming. But it also says that there is a way, thank God, to escape this judgment. The question is how? And you know what? That's the surprise of the story. That's the surprise of the Old Testament. That's the surprise of the entire Bible. And that's why so many people misunderstand it. Because it's counterintuitive and not what you think it is. So, this story is about salvation. It's not just about a story about salvation. It's a story about salvation through grace. Meaning, you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. And you can never, ever repay it. It is a gift of God's grace. So how do we know that it's a gift of God's grace? Well, look at Rahab. Rahab shows us. Now, I'm sure there were other people in Jericho that lived, you know, a better life than, than Rahab did. But she was the one who was saved and everybody else was destroyed. Why? Because the point of the Bible is that we are not saved by our morality. We are not saved by our religious practices. We are not saved by some vague spirituality that we make up as we go along. We are saved by grace. It is a gift. And so how do you get this gift? By faith. This is a story about salvation by grace through faith. Rahab. Rahab put her faith in the God that saves us by grace. She had heard about what the Lord had done for his people, saving them out of slavery in Egypt. This is not, and she's thinking, this is not like any other God that I have ever heard of. This is not like any of the idols that, that we worship. I need for him to save me from this coming judgment. And so she trusted him as her only hope for salvation. But there's more. This story is about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, how does this story point us to Jesus? Well, what happened to the walls of Jericho? You all remember the song if you went to Sunday school, right? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. That's right. Now, did all of the walls come tumbling down? All of it except for one section. One section. There was one house that was part of the wall that was still standing. Now, here's what I want you to do. Put yourself in that time in the sandals of an Israelite. All right? Looking at that. One house that is standing. Everything else is destroyed. And what do you see? You see a scarlet cord hanging from the window. Now, now some, the tendency for some, I mean, we're told that the whole Bible, including the Old Testament, points us to Jesus, and so uh, it can be kind of easy to, to, to jump ahead and go, oh, the scarlet cord is Jesus' blood. 
But that is to allegorize this story, which gets sloppy, and then we end up overlooking critical context and a significant key to the story. Now, judgment came to everyone except those inside a house with a scarlet cord on it. And if you are an Israelite standing there looking at all of this, what do you think of? Yes, I heard it. You think of the Passover. That's exactly right. You think of that time when God saved his people by, by telling them, I'm coming in judgment tonight, but if you get a spotless lamb and you slay it and you smear the blood on, on your house when I come in judgment, I will pass over your house and save you. And ever since then, God's people knew that salvation is by grace through faith in a perfect substitute who sacrifices his life in our place. In the Old Testament, God's people knew that this pointed them to the promised Messiah, to the promised Deliverer. And then in the New Testament, the prophet, John the Baptist, sees Jesus. And, and what does, what does uh, John the Baptist say when he points out Jesus? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is teaching us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover, that Jesus is our true Passover lamb, that he is the ultimate Passover lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And so, we have two key points here. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. The first one is that God saves you by grace through faith in Jesus. God saves you by grace through faith in Jesus. At the moment that Rahab put her faith in the Passover lamb who saves, there were three things that happened immediately to her that lasted forever. And in the moment that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, the same three things will happen to you in your life and will last forever. The first thing is this. The first thing that happens is that you're right with God. You are right with God. So I have a question for you. Let me ask you this. Do you think Rahab, oh, maybe, probably, struggled with shame? Yeah, just a little bit, right? Or maybe a lot. Shame that, that, might, have, uh, that might have kept her from going outside during, during the day to, to avoid the condemning stares of the people in, in, in the town. Shame that made her avoid her friends that, that, that she grew up with. Shame that made her avoid her high school reunion. Shame that, that would have made her avoid her, her family, maybe her mom and dad and sisters and brothers and everybody else in her family. Yeah, it's not too difficult to imagine that. But at some point, she came to trust in the Lord who saves sinners. And the moment that she did, immediately she is right with God. Immediately, God removes her shame. I imagine it took some time for that to sink in like it would for any of us, right? So let me ask you, how about you? Just think for a minute. Does shame haunt you? Maybe you haven't thought about that in a long time because you don't want to think about it. Because shame can be crushing. 
Is there any, in your life, any area in your life, any area in your past where there's just crushing shame? Maybe you're young, you haven't lived a lot of life yet, and you say, not me, I'm a good person. But let me ask you this. What if Google hacked your brain? I'm telling you, they're this close to it by now. It's just a matter of... It's just a matter of time, right? Imagine Google hacked your brain and Google downloaded all of the worst thoughts that you had this last week. And then they turned it into a video. And then they posted it on social media and it went viral. And then Google hacked our projector and our sound system and played it on a Sunday morning on this big screen in front of everybody. I think any of us might feel some shame, no? And then if we had any self-awareness at all, our greatest shame would be that we're not ashamed of the things we really should be ashamed of. Look, not everyone has the self-awareness that we prostitute ourselves on a regular basis. Let me explain. We are constantly giving our love and loyalty to other lovers, to false idols. We chase things like freedom and fun or comfort and respect even if it means that we turn our back on our loving, gracious God. Even though we turn our back on our loving, gracious God, even though these other things that we are chasing can't deliver and they, they, they set us up and let us down and rip us off, and yet we still turn on our, our back on God for these things. And they, they fill us with anxiety, they fill us with, with discontent, and, and they lead us into shame that crushes us. And then we act like God is not enough. We'd rather have these other things that rip us off and, and crush us. And, and we, will, we will do anything, anything to chase that comfort, that fun, that, that freedom, that, that respect. Jesus never, ever chased the comfort lover or the respect idol. He was willing to be stripped, mocked, beaten, nailed to a cross like the most vile criminal. He lived for us and he died for us. It was the most sacrificial act of loyalty to God and us that the world will ever see. So, the moment the moment you trust in Jesus, your, your video, your record is destroyed forever. It is wiped out. And here's the thing. You get Jesus' record forever. And your shame is removed. But when I say that it's removed, I'm not saying it just somehow kind of magically disappears. It's removed and placed on Jesus. 
He took your shame, my shame, so that we could have the best of all relationships with God. That is good news, amen? Secondly, you are free from slavery to sin. And here's what that means. What that means is that while God does love us just the way we are, he loves us too much to let us remain as we are. Okay? That means that he wants us to change. I mean, he, he calls us to change. And then he empowers us to change by his grace through faith in Jesus. I imagine Rahab trying to get out. Vowing to stop. To get a new job. To get a new life but then she keeps getting like, dragged back into it. I mean, who would hire me? Who would marry me? I'm trapped in this. I'm enslaved. And then she gets dragged back in. But then she hears about this God who delivers his people from slavery and, and Egypt. And she thinks, you know what? Maybe he can set me free too. And so she trusts him, and then God saves her. So how about you? Think about your life right now. Are you still a slave to sin? Or maybe you know you've been set free, but you forget and you keep acting like a slave to sin. And maybe you feel trapped. That happens to all of us. Maybe. You feel trapped by your past. Maybe you feel trapped by what someone did to you. Or maybe you feel trapped by your past, something that, that you did. Maybe it's something that you're still doing and you feel enslaved to it. Listen to me. There's good news here. And the good news is that at the moment that you trust in the Lord that saves, the chains are broken. They're obliterated. They fall off. And we don't instantaneously become perfect. Life change does take time, but the very spirit of Christ lives within you. We don't have to act like slaves anymore. And so what's, this is why we will never ever move beyond the gospel at this church to something that's supposedly deeper than the gospel. We forget the good news of, of the gospel all the time. And so we have to keep going back to the gospel to be reminded that we have been set free. And when we remember, <laughs> it changes everything. You're free from slavery to sin and you're free to change. You don't have to act like slaves anymore. And then beyond that, third under this is you are valued by God, your Father. You know what? Every single one of us, at some point or another in our life, most of the time for most of us, you have a deep longing 
to be valued by someone that you respect. Right? I imagine Rahab was no different. Instead of Rahab feeling valued and beautiful and cherished, feeling worthless, dirty, and used. Men would use her, dump her, and walk away. But then she hears about this God who not only delivers his people from slavery and shame, but he also leads them in the wilderness, which means that he dwells among his people because he values his people. If only I could be valued like that too. And then suddenly there's a, a knock at her door, and there she opens up the door, and there are two of Joshua's spies standing there. Out of all of the homes in Jericho, the Lord sent these two to Rahab's house. The Lord valued her, and she trusted in the Lord who values her. And he was not ashamed of her. In fact, we are told in the scriptures that God worked out history in such a way that she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That is amazing grace. She did not earn that. That was a gift from God. He lifts her up. So how about you? There are no shortages of surveys that indicate that a large percentage of us struggle with insignificance, worthlessness, and feeling like a total loser. The gospel of Jesus shows you the value that God gives you. There's a difference in the way the Bible is preached, even in the illustrations that are used. I remember when I was a kid hearing, I can't remember what preacher it was, but it was a typical message that focused on behavior. You should do this, here's a Bible verse, you should not do this, here's a Bible verse, and then uh, uh, you know, some stories to you know, drive home the point. I remember him telling a story about how some guy walked up to a woman and said, you know, will you sleep with me for $5,000? And she was like, are you serious? Yeah, are you serious? I, I, I'm, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Would you sleep with me for five bucks? And she said, no, what do you think I am? She said, I think I've already determined what you are. Now we're just negotiating price. And that was supposed to really kind of leverage shame to get people to behave or be good. There's a theologian named Francis Schaeffer. Different type of illustration. Francis Schaeffer was walking down a street in France, past a woman who was being prostituted, and he stopped, turned, and asked her how much. And she told him her price, and, and he said, no, I, I don't mean that. I mean, how much do you think that you are worth? 
And she had no idea how to answer that question. And so he explained to her that she was made in the image of Almighty God. And that God the Son died for sinners like him and like her. So that we could have the best of all relationships with God himself. And he told her, you are, so, you are worth so much more than you could ever imagine. The blood of God the Son was the price that was paid to make you free so that you could have the best of all relationships with the creator of the universe through sheer grace. And there's no greater value than that. See how different that is? Listen, the moment, the moment that you trust Jesus for your value, you have greater value than you could ever create for yourself or get from anyone else. You have greater value than you could ever imagine. God looks at you in Christ and says, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. I delight in you. That's God's grace. So God saves you by grace through faith alone. And know this, this is what the Reformation was all about. It is not a bit of faith plus our own effort. It's faith alone, right? But faith alone that saves us does not stay alone. We looked at that when we went through our, our, our series in the book of James. Dead faith leads to no change and is really no faith at all, right? Faith that is alive and well will produce fruit in your life. It's evidence, that fruit is evidence that you have faith. It, it brings progress in becoming more and more like Jesus. This means that God not only saves you by grace through faith in Jesus, but also God grows you by grace through faith in Jesus. He not only saves you that way, he changes you that way. The gospel is not just, you know, to get your, your get-out-of-hell-free card, and then it's all up to you and your grit to obey the Bible, to become more like Jesus. Kelly says it's not just the ABC, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. It's how we're saved and how we're changed. We'll unpack that. It's in a couple of areas that I think are three areas that we see, at least in this, this passage, of different ways that his grace changes us. And the first one is this, if you're taking um, notes. You will risk. You will take risks. Fear will no longer control you. I'm not saying you won't be afraid necessarily, but it will no longer control you. You'll grow in that. Since you are right with God, you'll risk for God and his glory. Because if you're right with God, you have nothing to lose, right? You know, some neighbors see uh, the spies into Rahab's home, and they go running and tell the king, the king of Jericho, and, and he sends soldiers uh, to Rahab's house and, and orders her to give up the spies. But instead, even though she's the one who hit him, 
said they went that way and sent them on a wild goose chase. That was treason against the king. And it was punishable by death, and she knew it. But she was willing to risk her life to advance God's kingdom of grace because she had loyalty to the real king, and her faith was in him. So how about you? How about me? Here's the deal. When you know that you're right with God by his grace, you will take risks for God and his glory. You will put your schedule at risk by serving others as Jesus' representative. You will put your, your spending at risk by being generous to others as Jesus' representative. You will put your reputation at risk by, by sharing the good news of God's grace as Jesus' representative. That's what God's people do when they get the gospel of grace. God's people take risks like those. And then secondly, you will love. Since you are loved by God, you will love others. Earlier I said it's easy to imagine uh, Rahab being distant from her family because of the shame, uh, but, but when the spies come in and she, uh, you know, James and Hebrews tell us that she had already put her trust in the Lord at that, at that point, they specifically mention her. And so her faith is in the Lord, and so she doesn't even ask for her own deliverance. If you read the text, she asks for the deliverance of her family. Her mom, her dad, brothers and sisters, and, and their family, that is her first instinct. Please save them from this coming judgment. She is pleading and she's interceding. Here's the deal. When you know that you are loved by God, you will love others. You know, maybe you think, you know what? I'm, I'm a Christian, but my faith is private. I'm not going to talk about it to other people. But if you know God's love, you will show God's love in deed and word especially loving them in a, in a way, wanting them to know his salvation. And you will pray for them and you will look for, and not, not in an arrogant way, but in a humble way. And you will look for an opportunity to share your faith in that same humility. You will love them as the Lord loved you. And then last is this. You will obey. You'll obey. Not to earn God's approval, we have that in Jesus. But if you really believe that God can be, be trusted, if you really believe that he loves you, obeying him is the only response that makes any sense at all, right? In fact, obedience is your faith in action. On top of that, it's a, it's a way to express deep gratitude for his love and what he's done for you. On top of that, it is, is an act of worship. And Jesus tells us in the New Testament, if you love me, you'll what? You'll obey my commandments. You know, Rahab was delivered from prostitution and never went back. Now, why do we say that? How do we know? Well, near the end of our passage, 
it says that she was brought out of Jericho and that she lived outside the camp of Israel for a time of ceremonial purification. But then our last verse says that Rahab had lived among the Israelites to that day. So what happened? She turned her back on the bondage and darkness of sin to live in a community of faith that, that helps each other to obey our loving God out of gratitude for his grace. That's a whole new life. So how about you? How about me? Here's the deal. To the extent that we know that God has set us free and that we are free to change, we will obey. If our faith is real, we just will. We will grow in that. It will happen. And, and here's what else you'll find. Maybe you, you've had a recent experience of this. If not, it's right around the corner. At one point, sooner or later, you will find yourself in a situation where to obey comes with a costly price. And you'll be scared. It's easy to obey God when you're obeying God uh, when, when obeying God is already something that you want to do, right? Sometimes obeying God will cost you something. Maybe. Um, who knows what it is? Maybe God's calling you to be generous and you're afraid. I... I I can't afford to be. And so you just write it off. Some of the most generous people I know are some of the, the poorest people I know. Or may, maybe you're in a relationship, and uh, the nature of the relationship, you know dishonors God. But, but you're, you're afraid uh, to obey God in that relationship because you're afraid that you're going to lose that person. And so sometimes obeying God will fill you with fear. It's easy to obey when it's exactly what you want to do, but, but maybe right now you're struggling with something. The decision to, uh, to obey because you don't know if God can be trusted in this situation. I want to encourage you. God is the Lord of heaven and earth who proved to you on the cross that he could be trusted. What more does he have to do? The answer, by the way, is nothing. Nothing at all. He saved you. And it's not rational to not trust him enough to obey him. So trust him. And what, what greater way is there to, to glorify God than obeying him when we know it'll cost us something? He is worthy, amen? I'll close with this. Everyone on the planet Earth knows who Johnny Cash is. That might be a slight exaggeration. I don't know. <laughs> but almost, right? No other artist has more cross appeal than, or crossover appeal than Johnny Cash. And not just because of his music. He's been respected for a long time for being open and honest about his struggles. 
his, his addiction, his divorce, all of his failures. And he was also open and honest about his salvation that was by grace that he could never earn. And he recognized and acknowledged God's grace in his life and he sang about it. And like, like grace in his, his marriage to June Carter, grace in his agonizing recovery from addiction, and above it all, grace that he experienced in Jesus Christ, whom he worshiped as Lord and Savior. One author in, a, in an article about Johnny Cash said this, that the primary spiritual yearning of the postmodern generation, our generation, can be expressed in the form of a question. And that question is, in the end, will anyone be there for me? And he says, that yearning is the yearning for salvation. And the writer goes on to say, Cash was convinced that the answer to that question is yes. In the end, Jesus will be there for all who put their faith in him because salvation is by grace. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Put your faith in him. Obey him. He can be trusted. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?